messages, I really encourage you to go and listen to them on the podcast. They will really bless you. And we are busy with person number five, not mumbo number five. <laughs> and you can thank me later for putting that song in your, in your head now. Yeah. I'm giving away my age. <laughs> so instead of telling you who I'm going to be speaking about, I'm going to give you some clues and hopefully you'll guess. So clue number one, his name means God is praised. It was a popular name during the time of Christ, this person's name. It appears 42 times in the New Testament. Anyone know yet? He was chosen by Jesus. Jesus gave him authority to heal the sick and cast out demons. Anyone can guess? But vague, hey. But if I say to you, this person betrayed Jesus, who's that? Judas Iscariot. And we know that because that is what Judas is famous for. Or should I say, rather, infamous. He's infamous for being Jesus' betrayer. That is his claim to fame. Today we even say that someone is a Judas if they are a traitor. And the name may have been popular in Bible times, but it hasn't been on the list of the most popular baby names for a very, very long time because of the negative association with the name. In fact, I didn't know this, but in some countries it's illegal to call your child Judas and Facebook and all sorts of other things. But, it's, but they won't let you name your child Judas because they feel like it would be very negative for the child to grow up with a name like Judas. Apparently it is making a comeback though, so there's that. So this series is about seven people who encounter Jesus. Obviously Judas qualifies there. And it wasn't just a single encounter that he had with Jesus. He was with Jesus. He spent time with Jesus for about three years. And maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, why out of all of the people that encountered Jesus does she choose Judas? Before you roll your eyes at me, I have some very good reasons which I'm hoping we can discover together this morning. So let's have a look. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Luke chapter 6. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament, third gospel. And we're going to be reading from chapter 6 and verse 12. I don't think, oh, it is up on the board. It is up on the board. There you go. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him. That was the bigger group of disciples who were following him and listening to his teaching. So he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them. So from that bigger group, he chooses 12, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, whom he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, 
Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judah, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. So Judas is a disciple. He's one of the 12. But look what it says there. Who became a traitor? So he wasn't born a traitor, but there's the sense that he becomes This concept of becoming is very important. There was a process or a progression for Judas to become a traitor. So he was a disciple. He was a traitor. What else was he? He was also the treasurer. So he was the keeper of the money bag. He was responsible for the money that the disciples used for food and any other expenses that they had. And they used to also give to the poor from their own financial resources or from the, the, the financial resources that they had. And Judas was responsible for this money bag. So he's a disciple, he's a traitor, he's the treasurer. What else is he? John 12 verse 6 tells us he was a thief. And why was he a thief, John tells us? Because as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Surprisingly, One of the disciples, one of the twelve, is not only the treasurer, but he's also a traitor and a thief. There's always that one friend, isn't there? So even though Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, the other disciples did not know. They had no reason to suspect Judas. At the Last Supper, in fact, when Jesus says to to them, one of you is going to betray me, John's Gospel tells us, and I love this, the disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. So there's this, huh, moment at the Last Supper. Matthew's Gospel says the disciples were sad when they heard that one of them would betray Jesus. And they said to him one by one, surely you don't mean me, Lord. So it's not like they were sitting there saying, well, it's obvious who the traitor is. It's obvious who's going to betray Jesus. Some things are obvious. This was not obvious. They were genuinely surprised and confused. Also at the Last Supper, there's this moment where Jesus acknowledges to Judas that he knows that he's going to betray him. And he says to him, what you are about to do, do quickly. So Judas gets up and he leaves the Last Supper to carry out his plan. But the disciples didn't know that that's why he had left. Some of them thought that he had been sent out to get more provisions. It was festival time. Or that he'd gone to give some money to the poor. They had no clue. Friends, Judas was with Jesus, having encounter after encounter after encounter with Jesus for the three years of Jesus' earthly ministry. You cannot get closer to Jesus than that, yet he ends up betraying him. And I believe that there are warnings for us in this story, which I'm hoping we can look at this morning. So we can encounter Jesus. It can look like 
we're close to him. It can look like we're following him, but actually we can have a very superficial relationship with him that is not changing us at a deep level. And it can be that we say, I'm following Jesus, or that we're following Jesus, but actually the enemy has more of an influence in our lives than what Jesus does. And that's scary. That's very scary. And this was definitely the case with Judas. His closeness to Jesus wasn't a guarantee of his devotion and his commitment to him. And neither is our apparent closeness to Jesus a guarantee of our commitment and our devotion to him. I want to take a a quick detour because while I was preparing this message, I was reminded that the enemy loves to corrupt things, especially things that are valuable. So things like who we are, our identity, and the gifts that God has given to us and the qualities that he has given to us. Let me Let me give you an example to illustrate my point. I know a woman who is extremely charismatic. She has an extremely charismatic personality. People are drawn to her like a magnet. She's warm. She's friendly. She's outgoing. She really is the life and soul of the party, but she's also thoughtful and kind and very relational. She really cares for people. But some men have misinterpreted her friendliness and concern as interest in them. And they have tried to pursue that or act on it. And although there are no immoral intentions from from her side, she's had to put down very firm boundaries, which is hard for her because she's a people pleaser. She doesn't like to disappoint. But she's had to learn to be okay with upsetting them because if not, this beautiful gift of her personality that God has given her to draw people to him will be corrupted by the enemy. And not only could her reputation be ruined, but her marriage and her family could be destroyed. And worst of all, the enemy could get her to turn away from Jesus. I know a man, very clever, extremely intelligent man. He grew up in a Christian home. His mom and dad love the Lord. They serve the Lord with all of their hearts. And his very giftedness, his intellect, has been corrupted and has been used against God to say that there there cannot be a God. He's using his intellect to reason that there is no God. And unfortunately, no argument holds water for him that there is a God. It shows you what happens when something valuable gets into the wrong hands, and something that, it, that can be a great gift in the wrong hands gets corrupted and can be a tool of weakness. Tragically, we can even turn from Jesus. But when it is in the hands of our Creator, who gave it to us in the first place, with the boundaries that He sets, it can be a great gift and a blessing to those around us, and it can bring God great glory. But the enemy loves to deceive and corrupt. He likes to convince us to turn from Jesus and to disobey him. Let's not forget what happened in the Garden of Eden and the enemy's power of persuasion and our willingness to listen to his advice. So let's look at the story of Judas 
with new eyes because it gives us the opportunity if, and this is a big if, if we are brave enough to ask ourselves some questions. Questions like, how deep is my relationship with, Je- with Jesus? How deep is my devotion to him? What am I becoming in the presence of Jesus? Because Judas was becoming a traitor in the very presence of Jesus. Is there a strength or a gift in me that I'm allowing the enemy to corrupt? Judas had a gift for working with money, but in the hands of the enemy, he became a thief. And so let's start thinking around some of these questions. I'd like to get back to them a little bit later. But I think there are many lessons we can learn from Judas' life. And you might be sitting there thinking, I will never betray Jesus like Judas did. But it really depends on how authentic and solid and devoted we are to Jesus. And what betrayal looks like to us. Because how many of us sitting here haven't had thoughts along these lines? We say to ourselves, well, you know, if I follow Jesus and if I do this Christian thing, I kind of expect it to go well for me and with me. Uh, There must be some visible gain and benefit for me. You know, life must be smooth and good most of the time. I don't mind a few speed bumps here and there. But if I'm a Christian, I expect my prayers to be answered I expect to always be favored and blessed according to my definition of favored and blessed. But if it doesn't go well with me and life is just really tough most of the time and I don't see or feel the benefits, then what's the use? What's the point? We do this if and then thing. If this happens, then I'll do that. If I get that job, I'll start coming to church. If I don't get healed, I can't carry on believing in God. If I have a breakthrough in my finances, I'll start being generous. If I commit to quiet times, then I want to get something out of it. I want to feel something. But what happens if our expectations aren't met, if they don't become a reality? Where does that leave us? Can any of us really say, I will serve Jesus no matter what? It sounds devoted, but is it really true for us? And only we can answer that question. So let's not be quick to say that we will not do what Judas did. We need to be aware, and that's what I'm hoping is to raise our awareness this morning. But we also need help. You know, I know that scripture had to be fulfilled with Judas betraying Jesus. But I I can't help thinking, what if? What if Judas had gone to one of his fellow disciples and he'd say to them, but I am in deep trouble. I'm, I'm in trouble. I've been stealing money. I'm thinking of betraying Jesus. I feel like the devil has got a hold on me. What if? I know Jesus had to go to the cross and that's the way it had to happen, but, but what if? The story of Judas is rich. There are so many questions we can ask ourselves, so many lessons we can learn, not only about what not to do, but about what we should do. And Jesus models what we should do so well for us. 
we can learn a lot from his treatment of Judas, his response to Judas. Remember, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, yet he included him. He empowered him. He showed him love. He equipped him like he did the other disciples. When I read that scripture to you, there isn't a little star next to Judas Iscariot's name, a little asterisk with a little clause at the bottom that says excluding Judas. So the same power that was given to the other disciples was given to Judas to cast out demons, to heal the sick. And Jesus served him. He washed his feet. And we say, but that's Jesus. He's the son of God. You know, it's not humanly possible to love someone and serve someone who we know is going to betray us or who has betrayed us. And sure, we may not be facing a life or death situation, but we are facing situations where someone has been a false friend or is being a false friend or will be a false friend. People who have made promises to us and who have broken them, who have been disloyal or unfaithful to us. They have let us down. They've cheated us in some way, stabbed us in the back. What should our response be if we say we are devoted followers of Jesus? Shouldn't we show them love? Well, let's go to the Word and see what is Jesus expecting from us. And listen to the way the message translation puts this. This is from Matthew 5, which is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking about a lot of different subjects here. Loving your enemies is one of the subjects he covers. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. Jesus is saying, I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Listen to this. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. How many of us sitting here this morning can say, my enemies bring out the best in me? Not me. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with prayer. For then you are working out of your true God-created selves. This, this is what God does. He gives his best to everyone regardless, the good and the bad. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any sinner does that. You are kingdom subjects. So Jesus is saying if we follow him, we are citizens of a different kingdom. And we don't do things the way the world does things. It's much more difficult to live as a kingdom subject in the world. Now live like it, he's saying. Live like kingdom subjects. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives towards you. Man, that's hard. Maybe a face came to mind while we were reading through that. Okay, maybe a few faces. <laughs> I know that's true for me. I've got some work to do. And maybe this week, we need to take that scripture and we need to think about it. 
and we need to pray about it. And we need to ask ourselves, what does it look for me to live like this towards the people who've hurt me? What does it look like for me? Jesus didn't just speak about loving our enemies. He modeled it for us in so many different ways. And what's more, even though Jesus was without sin, he can identify with us in all of our weaknesses. And he certainly knows what it feels like to be betrayed. So if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling betrayed, be encouraged because Jesus understands. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying to me, Michelle, I don't feel betrayed. I have been betrayed. And I have been betrayed by someone very close to me. Either a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a fiancé, a husband, a wife. Those close human relationships are the ones that hurt the most. But Jesus knew betrayal at a very deep level. His close friends betrayed him. They denied him. They were nowhere to be found when he needed them the most. And his father abandoned him. He knows. He knows. And we can turn to Jesus No matter if we have been betrayed or, and this is big, if we have betrayed. And that's what Judas should have done. He should have turned to Jesus. He should have run to Jesus. What did he do instead? Matthew 27, 3 to 5 tells us, When Judas, who had betrayed him, that's Jesus, saw that Jesus was condemned, He was seized with remorse and returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. I have sinned, he said, for I have betrayed innocent blood. What is that to us? They replied, that's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. And listen to this. Then he went away. Say went away. He went away and hanged himself. In Judas's darkest moments, when he had realized the impact of what he had done, what was his response? Instead of returning to Jesus, he went away. He turned away from Jesus. The same Jesus that Judas had had encounter after encounter after encounter with. Instead of running to him who was to hang on a tree, he hung himself in a tree. Judas witnessed Christ's compassion firsthand. He saw Jesus' love for the sinner. He heard the parables about forgiveness. He witnessed Jesus offering forgiveness to people time and time again. Yet when he had committed a terrible sin, And was filled with remorse. He went away. He ran away. And took matters into his own hands. With tragic results. How many times have we done this? We fail. We sin. We disappoint. We betray. We make promises. And we break them. We are disloyal and unfaithful to God and to people. And where does our regret and our remorse lead us? Where do we turn? Where do we run? To that person Or that thing that we think will make it better? We take matters into our own hands. And instead of running to the compassionate and gracious God, 
who is slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, who forgives wickedness and rebellion and sin. Friends, what are we saying when we think that what we've done is so bad that we can't go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and receive forgiveness. Let's not forget there was another disciple. There was another disciple who also rejected Jesus. Who was that? Peter. Remember Peter? He was also one of the 12. He denied Jesus. The very thing that he would said, he said, I will never do that. I will never deny you. He bragged about it. So both Judas and Peter did these terrible things and they felt sorry for it. We've read Judas was seized with remorse. It says that Peter wept bitterly. They both came to the end of themselves. But one of them ended his life and the other one was restored and started a new life. And what a life it was. And I encourage you to go and study the life of Peter. I really encourage you to do it. You will be so blessed at the power of restoration, of forgiveness and restoration, of returning to Jesus. With Judas, there was this emotional change, and he tried to make it right. He returned the blood money to the chief priests and elders, but sadly, he never returned to Jesus. With Peter, there was this emotional change, and there was a choice to return to Jesus, and there was restoration for him. I pray that our regret and our remorse will lead us to the foot of the cross, to the feet of Jesus where we will believe that he is who he says he is. He has done what he says he has done. He has paid the price. It is finished. It is truly finished. He has dealt with our sin and our shame, no matter what it is. And sin has consequences. There are always consequences for sin. But more importantly, there is forgiveness and there is restoration. It can be well with our souls. So maybe we can get back to some of those questions that I asked earlier on. And as you sit here this morning, I don't know where this lands with you. I don't know, I don't know what you're thinking. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you haven't encountered Jesus. You've heard about him. You've heard about him but you've never responded to him. He offers you a lifetime of encounters with him. What will you choose to do? Will you turn to him and respond to his offer of salvation today? Or will you turn away from him? The choice is yours. Maybe you know Jesus. And the question for you is, what am I becoming in the presence of Jesus? Are you using your gifts and the qualities that God has given you for his glory? Or is the enemy busy corrupting them and deceiving you to slowly start turning from Jesus? 
maybe you're sitting here this morning and you've sinned and you are feeling that remorse and regret and you've turned away from Jesus and you're desperately trying to sort this thing out yourself. Think about that what if. What if Judas had confessed to one of the other disciples? Maybe you need to confess to someone that you trust what you've been thinking and what you've been doing. Maybe you're busy with stuff you shouldn't be busy with. And you feel like there's this rope around your neck choking the life out of you. I beg you, don't leave it. Where will it end up? Where will you end up? It is never too late to run to Jesus, to return to him, to receive forgiveness and to be restored and to trust him with the consequences of your sin, any consequences you may have to face. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you are disappointed. And if you're honest, you're disappointed in God because you've been trusting for something and it hasn't happened. And you are exhausted and you are disillusioned. Please don't turn from him. Don't turn from him. Disappointment is one of the biggest things that can cause us to turn from Jesus. Don't turn from him. Turn to him and keep turning to him. If you have to use every last bit of energy that you have to keep turning to him, please keep turning to him. If your heart has been stirred this morning in any way, I'm going to ask you to be brave and stand just now. But before you stand, I want you to know I'm standing. And yes, I'm standing, but I'm standing. And I want to tell you why I'm standing. This is my question. This is the question I'm asking myself. Does it look like I'm close to Jesus? Or am I really close to him? Am I pursuing closeness with him? And how am I pursuing closeness with him? Am I really drawing near to him? Are there any doors that I've opened to the enemy, even if it's a little crack? I don't want that open. I want to close it. And I want to keep turning to him. So I'm standing. And so whatever your question is, wherever you are, if you feel like you need to take the next step this morning, and as an outward sign, you need to stand. God knows God knows where you are. Won't you stand with me? I'd like to pray with us. Lord, the story of Judas reminds us that we can see you in all your beauty and we can reject you. We can turn away from you. And Lord, we are standing this morning because we're saying we don't want to turn away from you. We want to keep turning to you regardless of where we are. And so God, we just say we're sorry. Wherever we are, whatever we've done, we are sorry. And we receive your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness. And we receive your forgiveness today. And we trust you. 
We trust you with the future. We trust you with what lies ahead. We do not want to be like Judas, who takes matters into our own hands and turns away from you. Holy Spirit, we've heard about you this morning. We need you, Holy Spirit. We need you to help us because in our own strength, we cannot do this. We cannot, we cannot do this in our own strength. And so we trust your word, Lord, that says, now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to make us stand in his presence, blameless and with great joy to the only God, our Father, and Jesus Christ, our Lord, be the glory and majesty, dominion, and authority both now and forever. Amen.